chicka chicka cha chicka chicka cha. Uh-oh. Hey guys, welcome back to Captain Thoughts. This is Caleb. And this is EJ. And uh, we're back. Episode 7. You ready for this? Episode 7. We're go. going strong. Let's go. I um, feel like the past couple weeks we've gotten some momentum. I think yeah. our audio is getting better. Maybe. Maybe. I think we have like maybe five listeners and one troll. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> no, we we got we got a few people that are reaching out to us and commenting yeah. and interested in the podcast, so that's yeah. encouraging. Guys, we're excited. We're we're gonna start implementing memes mm-hmm. into the episodes, and like we hope you guys share them, enjoy them, and get more people to listen. But we we actually have about twenty five listeners, which I'm like kind of surprised. Yeah, that's pretty good actually, considering new podcast. Yeah. But for those of you who listened to last week's episode, Icy Blast. You'll, you'll understand the meme that Caleb posted where I clearly did not know that that song lyric was in, in scripture. So yeah. awkward. Awkward for all of us. Dude, there's awkward things in scripture. True. But yeah, so this week um, we're actually going to jump into like kind of what we want Captive Thoughts to be about. We started the podcast because people liked hearing us have conversations. That's true. And so we're going to maybe stop having so many like just like one topic podcast and more of just hold a conversation and just let it take us where it takes us Mm -hmm. and go from there so i mean today like i kind of want to start with uh like the idea for ej and i when we first met was kind of dealing with like what is theology how do we understand theology what is christianity like Mm -hmm. so we kind of i want to talk to you about what were your biggest struggles as a theology major? Like, mm-hmm. what were some of the things you struggled with the most? Yikes. And then, like, have those things found their conclusion? Mm. And if not, how are you dealing with them now? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, for both of us studying theology in an academic setting for several years, definitely had an impact. Um, initially, one of the first things that comes to mind when I think of something I struggled with, which actually I think a lot of theology majors can resonate with this or at least have like admitted at some point they like had difficulty with this is that for me scripture became like another textbook because mm. we'd spend so much time exegeting and so much time researching and so much time looking at historical context and all these different like elements to scripture and like we were just constantly in it which is great but at the same time it, it almost felt like oh this is you know it's just another like academic resource that yeah. i'm using to like write a paper something you're being critical of and right yeah being analyzing. critical of and like oh i have this paper due friday and i have to like research this passage in luke so like i'm just gonna like <laughs> figure it out and like the bible didn't for me the bible didn't become this life-giving like word from god it became oh like this is like a book that I need to like use to like write this paper and get an A in a class. Dang. You know, and that was something yeah. I struggled with for a while. Um, towards I would say towards junior or senior year at CCU, like those past couple of years, like trying to figure out, okay, this obviously isn't just a textbook, like this is the word of God, this is alive and breathing and still like very significant and practical for today. Yeah. Yet Every day I feel like, oh, I'm using it to, like, pass a class. Yeah. You know, and and so that was a struggle um, that I had. And being in seminary now, I don't think it's as big of a difficulty. Um, It's still something I'm I'm aware of. Like, hey, I have to be careful that I'm not (laughs) turning the Bible into, like, a resource like that, Um, even though it obviously does have academic purposes. But, yeah, that was was something just initially that – comes to mind that Dude, I, I struggled a lot with that too kind of struggled with yeah 
when I like got out of the degree, mm-hmm. I had to kind of get myself in a place where reading scripture was just to read it, mm-hmm. even just for the story. Right. I think as a kid, I'd open up the Bible and find a passage and be like, what does this mean? Mm-hmm. And in college, you take that to a whole new level. It's not only like, what does this mean? But it's like, is this actually Paul who wrote it? And yep. what's the cultural context, which is important. Don't get mm-hmm. me wrong on that. But it's like overanalyzing. Like you said, you're so academically critical of everything you read and then you're yeah. treating the Bible that way. When I got out, I had to start reading it as a story. Mm-hmm. So Amy's been reading through it, and yeah. that's actually what helped her get started again. We were talking about that, and I just told her, I was like, just read the Bible as a story. Right. It's a story. That mm-hmm. doesn't mean the events didn't happen. Right. But read it as the story that it is, and try not to try and find everything that it means. Mm-hmm. But just enjoy reading it and like enjoy what the Holy Spirit highlights to you. Right. Which is way more fun. Yeah, and one more filling. Yeah, and one of the things I found out was that, like, the more academic it became, it it felt like I had less childlike faith, as yeah. as we often say. Like, yeah, like the story didn't come alive as much to me. Like, I, I wasn't enriched as much. I, I felt like my faith wasn't as rooted in scripture, but more of, yep, I'm I'm just reading the story because I have to read it, or like this has been assigned, or. This is the topic I chose for my paper, so that's why I'm reading this. Like, the childlike faith, the enthusiasm to read the story, the enthusiasm to like see what the Holy Spirit will reveal to me, like that started to lose or like fade away from my heart and mind, and that's like really unfortunate that yeah. that happened. Actually, it is because like I remember trying to write an exegetical paper, which mm-hmm. I did find a lot of fun, mm-hmm. but it felt like you were always trying to find the topic that's not clearly there and prove your point, right? And now I'm like, why did we make it so complicated? Yeah, it's like, how can I find this little thing and, like, stretch it and turn it into a paper when it's like, is that really, like, the point of that passage? Like, that one little thing that, like, yeah. you're trying to write ten pages on? Or is there, like, something else yeah. that, like, God is trying to speak? It did feel, in some sense, with some of my professors, mm-hmm. where, like, as long as you could argue, argue the point well, mm-hmm. it was a good paper. Right. Even if scripture didn't actually affirm it, mm-hmm. which I think is what gives like a push into a Christianity that's so highly academic that we no longer take scripture mm-hmm. and say, this is God's glorious, perfect word. That's something to tell us. Mm-hmm. And rather we say, this needs to be brought up to our context mm-hmm. now mm-hmm. and looked at through, you know, yeah, this is what happened in their context, but does it really apply to us today? Mm-hmm. And I think most of the time we try to say that it doesn't. And it's really disappointing to like get to that point where we're disregarding scripture so much that we're trying to interpret mm-hmm. circles around You're right. what it says. Right. And it's actually, for me, it's kind of sad to admit this, but there have actually been like several academic papers I've written where like I will argue something theologically or biblically that I don't even agree with, but I know, I know like academically I can sell it <laughs> and like make it sound good and like do well on the paper. So I, like, run with it, and I make all these arguments. But, like, deep down, it's like, yeah, I, I don't really agree with any of this. But I know this paper will, like, do well. It's like, wow. Looking back on that, like, how sad is that? That Dude. Like, that's that's where I reach. I reached a point like that where it's like, oh, as long as I, like, get an A on this paper, or as long as I do well, like, in, in my degree, then, like, it doesn't really matter, like, what I'm writing about. It's funny how academics requires you to devalue scripture in order to get an a hmm yeah exactly what you're saying i noticed that like the papers that i 
really believed in, mm-hmm. I would get a B. Mm-hmm. But a paper I wrote, like you're saying, where it was like, I don't even buy this, but this is like, let's say a progressive view, mm-hmm. always get an A. It's odd, isn't it? Yeah. How like the academic field, and obviously as two people in academics and like still pursuing theology in an academic setting, like it's it's very it's a it's a fine line because obviously the institutions we attend affirm scripture and like hold it in high esteem but at the same time it's also like sometimes you have to make compromises to like get the the paper like to a certain like academic standard or like yeah if i get if i like argue this one point that's a little out there but like academically it fits then like you know i'm gonna do it so i can get a better grade there's that tension yeah you know in in the academic field of like yes we affirm and uphold scripture at the same time like i want to do well academically and sometimes i have to like bend like what i believe or i have to like stretch scripture a little bit to like fit a topic that i'm like trying to advocate for or whatever and yeah i don't i don't know if i like that to be honest i'm kind of in the middle of it sometimes i feel like ah i don't know because, yeah, sometimes, like, if, if I was to just sit down and just write a paper of, like, what I felt and what I believed, like, it wouldn't come across very academic. My sources would probably be a lot different than, like, the scholars I use. Like, it would look a lot different. So I, I do kind of have to, like, stretch it a little bit to, like, fit the class. Yeah. Kind of weird. What are... Now, like, you don't have to. Sorry to go off on a tangent work. on that. No, I love it. <laughs> I'm actually thinking, like... What are or were some of those topics that you wrote a paper on that you didn't agree with when you were writing it, if you remember? Let me think. I know I'm doing the same thing where I'm sitting over here like talking about this, and I was like, okay, so what were some of those papers? Because I remember it in the moment, but let's be honest, guys. When you're in college, you write a paper to get the grade. And then you like erase you it from everything. your memory. Yep. <laughs> you yep. close all the tabs in the browser, mm-hmm. wipe your notes, and go to bed. <laughs> yep. Um, one paper I remember, it was for systematic theology class, and it was essentially the relationship between human responsibility and like the working of God and regeneration. Okay. So yeah. if you, for those listening, if you're familiar with synergism versus monergism, so when someone like receives Christ as their savior and is born again, is that a hundred percent the work of God or is it like 50, 50 with God and man? Like does, does man like co-share like responsibility with God or is it a hundred percent like God's work? That was like the paper I wrote on. Monergism is like God does everything for salvation. Like the human doesn't contribute to their salvation. It's 100% God. Synergism says no, like God and man both contribute. They both work together to like produce salvation, like in the believer. So I wrote this whole paper on it. And, you know, more reformed positions tend to lead like monergism, where like, no, it's God. It's completely work of God. Like we're totally unable to save ourselves in any way, fully God. Then other positions that are more like into free will or into human responsibility advocate for synergism. Well, there was this third point where I was like trying to maybe find like a third option. And it was kind of like an Eastern Orthodox kind of view. And it leaned it, it leaned more towards like synergism, but it was super weird. Okay. And I'm trying to remember who <laughs> I 
um, who was the guy I used? I want to say Gregory Nanzianzas, who I liked a lot, but there was him and then one other um, scholar I used, but I just remember, like, as I was writing it, I was advocating for that, like, more Eastern Orthodox kind of view, and I was just like, yeah, this is weird, and there's some, like, interesting points <laughs> that they're saying that I don't quite yeah. agree with, but, like, I'm committed to this paper, and, like, this is what I'm going to argue for, yeah. and so... Yeah, looking back on that paper, it's like, yeah, I don't know if, like, in real life, I'd be like, yep, that's, if someone asked me, this is what I would say. Like, this is what I believe. But, like, for the paper, I was like, yeah, I'll argue for it and say, like, this is how God, like, saves us. Like, <laughs> but now looking at it, it's like, eh, it's kind of interesting, you know. I'm still, like, not sure how I feel about the position, but. I kind of want to dig deeper into that. But I think it's funny first that you picked a paper in a class that's taught by a professor that's probably the most, like, esteeming professor of scripture that I know hmm. at CCU. Yeah. But it's funny how academics does that to us. Right. In general. Like, mm-hmm. maybe even him as a professor would lean towards that more academic in the classroom. Yeah. Because obviously in the classroom he shared all views and never, like, Right. Put one at us that was. Well, this is the difficult thing is, I mean, obviously we had the class together and like the nature of the class, it was more academic. It was like an upper division, upper level class. We argued like cats and dogs. A lot of arguing, (laughs) a lot of like presenting your case. And so like the paper was supposed to be academic. Yeah. So I like met the requirements, but I, I knew like as I'm writing it, like at the time I was like, this is a weird position. (laughs) Yeah. Like I don't think I would ever be like in my own like personal life like promote this like this is what i think but for the terms of the paper i was like yeah like this is a quality argument and like i can cite these good sources and i did well in the paper and like i accomplished what i like set out to do yeah but i've had like several of those papers where like as i'm writing it i'm like uh i don't know this is this is odd (laughs) but oh well (laughs) that's like the worst it's like it's coming (laughs) seriously it's like why am i doing that but you know even in the midst of that i'm still learning like it still helps refine okay even though maybe in this paper i'm arguing for this like maybe i don't actually believe this and in that sense it does help knowing like afterwards like okay i don't fully agree with this even though i wrote about it in my paper you know that helps me like kind of edify and bolster what i do believe but yeah yeah, super Helps weird. Helps you at least know another view. Yeah, to talk yeah. About it, which anything is the point of yeah. academics. No, exactly. Yeah. yeah, and it helps me. Yeah, it helps me understand like other perspectives too. And so it's not all bad. I feel like we've been bashing the academic <laughs> field like for a while. There, there funny, are both, positives. We both like love the academic field. That's we do. Why we're theology majors. That's right. That's why we do this. We do. So let's dig into that. Yeah. That paper you wrote. Yeah. You didn't agree with the stance that you were trying to argue for mm-hmm. what is your stance now yeah if my, you have one yeah yeah if i have one yeah um that's really good i didn't <laughs> i didn't think we were going to be getting into monergism synergism today but that's captive thoughts this is off the cuff this is unscripted and we're just going for it Having i have to apologize guys if i keep grunting i have allergies this summer and i'm like <sighs> <gonna> go, <coughs> it's those, so it's me, those allergies that'll get you yeah. um no yeah it, it's very interesting I am a firm believer that being born again, being regenerated, whatever term we want to use, like someone who is not saved, that is now saved, I think it's a supernatural work of God. Like if the Holy Spirit is not involved, then like it's not happening. 
Yeah. Like the Holy Spirit must be present. He must be moving. So obviously there's a divine element, a supernatural element. Now to what extent, again, this is like where the debate lies, is like <laughs> to what extent is there human responsibility? Does the human yeah. agent play any role in it? And I think it's interesting because we see in Scripture the call to like repent and be baptized or like repent and believe or like turn to God and like confess your faith. Like these are actions that scripture commands like the person to do. So it appears, oh yeah, there's human responsibility. But at the same time, it's like, how are we able to do that? And I think it's like through the working of the spirit, we're able to do that. So it's like to repent, to confess faith in Christ, I think requires the working of the spirit. But at the same time, God is commanding us to do those things so he does require a human element where we vocally confess something or like in our heart believe something so like i don't know if that'd be synergism maybe god and man or if that's monergism i don't know how i would interesting is like what you're describing is held by both like the two major camps arminianism and calvinism right both affirm what you're saying yeah this is funny because this is actually one of the first conversations you and I had. Is it? Yeah, I think we talked about Probably. like extent of the atonement. Yeah, yeah. Early on in our friendship, actually, we did. We did. We struggled with that. We, yeah. we argued for a long, long time together about, and it wasn't even like against each other. It was just like criticizing every view because it's complicated. More of just like processing out loud like yeah, everything we were learning. To like, be honest, as <laughs> being devil's advocate for each other. Yeah. So anytime somebody mentioned something, it was like, oh no, but this, <laughs> but that's one. But you know, really, what it comes down to with those two camps is logical priority of choice. Hmm. So yeah. they would both affirm that the Holy Spirit is involved in your ability to make that choice. Right. But the Arminian camp would say, God foreknew, looked into the future, saw EJ, EJ accepted God, God elected EJ. Hmm. And the Reformed view would say, God predestined, he knows he foreknew he predestined as one thing, EJ. And then through the working of the Holy Spirit, EJ made the choice to follow him as he had planned. Hmm. And that's really the two like camps. Hmm. And that's why it's funny whenever somebody like wants to debate me on that stuff. Mm-hmm. Because I was raised like hardcore Arminian. Now I probably lean a little more towards the Reformed view. Mm-hmm. But when I first like got saved and learned of the doctrines of grace. Um, I wouldn't call myself Calvinist, but I was like hardcore cage stage Calvinist. <laughs> you know this. Yeah, you were pretty passionate. <laughs> and now I feel like I've matured more enough to understand the nuances. And I've actually come to accept it mo- less of like a doctrine mm-hmm. that's essential and more of attention. Hmm. Because both camps affirm that the Holy Spirit has to be involved in right. justification. Right. It's how it happens that they don't agree It's on. a little more tricky. So I think it's Martin Lloyd-Jones who was like, I don't consider election or predestination to be essential doctrines as a whole. I, call it, I consider them non-essentials. Hmm. And I, I probably would say, I've, I've never read the book that that quote is in, but I'm, I would say he's probably seeing the same thing I'm talking about here, that they both affirm what you just said. Mm-hmm. And so if the Holy Spirit's involved, Mm -hmm. then you can have legitimate believers in both camps, right? Right. So. Right. Yeah, it's tricky because, yeah, 
there's obviously debate for a reason because there are passages that would seem to make it clear like oh like obviously humans are like doing something yeah like we are a part of it like we are in the process of like salvation like we are turning to god we are repenting we are confessing we are like participating like christ is drawing us to him and are we like going to follow are we going to like move forward but at the same time it's also very clear like what you talked about we're like yeah like there are passages that talk about god electing and god being sovereign and all-knowing and like he has a plan for you and for your life and he he's known you since before you were even in your mother's womb yeah and like he knows the hairs on your head and like he's so like attentive to details that it's like well clearly like god is the one like all in control and he's like 100 percent doing everything you know so it's like yeah. there is that tension where man i, I want to say yes we participate and like we do something but i also am like well also god is like doing everything <laughs> like yeah he's the one like in, <laughs> in control and like running this so yeah I, I don't know in terms of like the theological terms what i would be monergism or, or synergism i feel like a lot of the medieval scholars and theologians that i enjoy like aquinas and anselm and those thinkers i think they'd be more synergism more of god and man working together um and even some like eastern orthodox kind of views with deification and like participating mm -hmm. in the divine nature i think they and that's kind of what i talked about in my paper which at the time I was like, eh, I don't know. And even now I'm still like wrestling with, eh, I'm not sure how I would articulate that because there's some interesting points. But I feel like maybe I'd lean more towards that if I had to like pick a camp. Not that I do have to pick a camp necessarily, but I don't know. This takes us back to the tension and paradox. Tension and paradox. As I've like gotten deeper in my relationship with God outside of academics, I've started to instead of living like just in the world of either or it's either this or it's that right um i've come to just like rejoice in the god of and hmm. <clears throat> like because our god is he's like i'm both sovereign and you have free will and he both hardens pharaoh's heart and pharaoh hardens his own heart hmm. and i actually think that really I mean, would you say it's possible then <clears throat> like god like just chose you like unconditionally like elected you but you also chose god like and yeah, you also and chose that, god somehow that's actually what i would say so that's that's the belief i've come to hold hmm, i like that and i you know at first i didn't at first i was like no just god chose me and here i am and i do believe that but there is an element of our choosing too hmm. it's interesting because uh, i may have mentioned this in another podcast but I believe it's Philip Graham Riken. There's two Riken bros, but the Riken bros, the Riken bros, but they're one's like an English professor and the other one's theologian. But the the theologian one <laughs> that's not helpful at <laughs> the, all. The theologian brother, <laughs> but he wrote a book on the Trinity and the, he had a chapter on their like Trinity's involvement in salvation. Hmm. But one of the things that he said that really got me thinking deeply was um, the idea of elections, like the family jewels. Hmm. So you don't show anybody those, but if they're in the family, they know about them. Interesting. So he talked about election as like there's a cross, and it has a, it's like a huge cross and has a door in it, and written on the cross is the words you know for whosoever will believe, 
And so that's the call of evangelism that goes out to all people, the good news of the gospel that we preach to all people because, like Paul said, who believes who has not heard and who can hear mm-hmm. unless we teach it, right? Yeah. So the call of the gospel goes out to all people and Christ's death is sufficient for all people. Mm-hmm. But whosoever will believe goes in enters Mm -hmm. becomes a christian and then once they're in that door they look back at the door and on the cross it says um eternally elected in christ jesus right Mm -hmm. so i see that and i i know what he means there's this there is a tension there yeah there's a tension that says the call goes out to all people and those who accept it are the ones that god said or if you're arminian knew would accept it Mm mm-hmm and those, I don't think you can get around that. And mm. I think it's when you try to clear up the either or. I lived either or for growing up as a kid. As a kid, it was like anybody and everybody can accept the gospel at any time. And like all people need to, which I still, this is funny because I still believe this. Mm-hmm. But now I believe it in a more nuanced way of like the call of the gospel goes out to all people, but not all people are going to accept it. Right. Which is what scripture says. Mm-hmm. And so I don't think it's. I think I came to the conclusion that it wasn't so far out there to say, to affirm Ephesians when it says that God predestined us before the foundation of the world to be saved. I think there's great hope and joy in that unconditional election. And then there's great hope and joy that we can, like, we're still praying for our brothers and sisters that they'd mm-hmm. be saved, like our friends and family and yeah. stuff like that. Yeah. yeah. I like the the idea like you're saying the nuanced view of like yes god can unconditionally elect and be sovereign over salvation and leave room for us to participate yeah and leave room for us to respond like like somehow those can maybe coexist like they can both be true statements yeah which is like hard to wrap your mind around because yeah i've kind of trained my mind to think and either or like scenarios when it comes yeah. to theology like it either is this or it has especially to be the in com- academics. especially in academics or it has to be like the complete opposite yeah. but this idea of well maybe both can somehow simultaneously be like true statements yeah where god unconditionally elects like based off of nothing like he just chooses but then also at the same time like we participate and we are involved in it and yeah i think there's a beauty to it a beauty to that and that you're talking yeah. about yeah, there's... Doesn't make it easy to, like, articulate. I'm, I'm probably, like, struggling <laughs> pretty bad right now to articulate it. Um, but I, I do think there's a beauty to that. I've been... You introduced me to this app that that's, like, really been deep in my relationship with God. It's, uh, oh, man, how do you, how do you say it? Katana? It's, I it's, think so. Yeah, it's Katana. I don't know how it's supposed to be pronounced, but so it's spelled C A T E N A. So Katina, Katana, we'll Katina. Link to it in the description yeah. of this one. Yeah. And I'd actually suggest everybody get it. It's it's put together by a site. I think it's called Patristics.co. I actually found this out. Nice. He he runs a site where he actually has all of the church fathers' writings on there. Oh wow! And he's working on like putting biographies and stuff like that up. He's really doing it, and he created the app. But the app, um, it's King James Version Bible, but you can click on every verse and whatever commentaries are available from, you know, early patristics or otherwise, mm-hmm. are on there to read. But one that I have found myself mostly agreeing with, like mm-hmm. very surprisingly, is George Leo Haydock. 
who was in 1849. Nice. Roman Catholic. Nice. But he his views, I'm I'm reading them and I'm like struggling with the stuff he says I agree with. Hmm. And yet he's Roman Catholic. And I don't agree with like the modern Roman Catholic Church's focus on Christ plus hmm. tradition and Christ plus or scripture plus tradition is Christ plus uh, the saints. Saints and like and, some of their views on Mary and Mary's role. Yeah, and so um, I don't agree yeah. with the pluses. It'd be interesting for me to actually dig into maybe some of his other, like his writings deeper than yeah, just I his haven't, commentaries. Yeah, I haven't looked into him. But his commentaries, like when I read it, it's funny, most of the time it has a very, what I would call a reformed view hmm. of scripture. He even quotes Augustine a bunch, which I've actually... A whole nother conversation as we're coming towards the end of this one. Mm-hmm. I've even been questioning whether or not Augustine can be considered Reformed. Interesting. Because there's certain yeah. things that Reformed people are constantly like pushing for. And there's actually commentaries where Augustine affirms, like with the four new, Augustine actually four says that God knew who would choose him and thus elected them. Wow. And that's crazy to me to hear because I feel like Reformed tradition is always like... Augustine is like unconditional. king of... Yeah. But it's actually Aquinas hmm. who affirms yeah. the other direction that God chooses and then we choose him. So oh, I found it interesting that we're always like propping up Augustine, but it's Aquinas who actually holds a closer to Reformed view. Hmm. It's interesting to me. What it tells me is that we have such a like beautiful checkered history, a yeah. church history. Yeah. And... I would want to see those two camps be united with one another yeah. against some of the other things that are going on, whether it be, you know, super progressive Christianity or a, an unlearned, uneducated Christianity that focuses on the gifts too highly. Hmm. Um, and I'd like to see those churches that do focus on the gifts too highly to become learned, Yeah. to listen to some of the early church fathers and to listen to some of the people mm-hmm. Who God has like really established and become learned leaders. And I mean, you would you would agree with this, but there's so much we can learn from our church history and like those who have oh, gone yeah. before us and like the triumphs they've had and then the horrible failures that the church has experienced like throughout the years. And yeah, I think it'd be a disservice if we just ignored. I say like, we maybe jump into done. church fathers in the next podcast. That could be really good, actually. Christian history. Yeah, Christian stuff. history. I'd like that. Cool. Well, thank you very much for listening to episode seven of Captive Thoughts. We hope you enjoyed it. Yeah, as fun. yeah, it was very fun uh, off off the cuff. But uh, as always, feel free to like our Facebook page, comment, let us know what you thought. Um, we are on Spotify, we are on YouTube, we're on several platforms. Um, so if you are able to access those, feel free to and let us know what you think. We appreciate it. Yeah.